Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and today my guest is Mitch Mays, who is the administrator of the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority. And with many loopers headed towards the Tentom, I thought this would be a great time to bring Mitch back so we can get updated on all the goings-on on the Tentom, because they certainly have had probably more than their fair share of challenges in the last year. So that's our topic at hand today. I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And Mitch Mays, thank you for joining me again. Yeah, thanks for asking me to uh, come and uh, speak with you again. Yeah, uh, we spoke with you, I think, back in the spring when you were uh, dealing with some flooding. But to start off, for anyone who perhaps wasn't listening then, why don't you fill us in on the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority and your role there? Uh, well, uh, I'm the administrator for, uh, for the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority. It's a four-state compact uh, between the states of Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Uh, we work closely with the Corps of Engineers and our elected officials in each state and in Washington, D.C. Uh, to maintain uh, funding for the Corps of Engineers so that they uh, can keep the waterway open, open and uh, operational at all times. Uh, under the umbrella of the authority, we also have the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Council, uh, which is kind of like a trade association. We have uh, you know multiple business and industry all related in some manner to the waterway uh, that are members of the council. And we also have a tourism association, uh, that's a Ten Tom Tourism Association, uh, that, that we uh, maintain relations and then promote the recreational uh, benefits of the waterway. And we work closely with cities and counties that uh, you know, are along the waterway. Uh, from Paducah all the way to Mobile, mm-hmm. and there are. And we some... also have a museum. We, we also have a mu- We also have a museum here. Uh, our uh, office is in Columbus, Mississippi. So any uh, loopers that are coming through, I would encourage you to stop at Columbus Marina. Come see the museum. It's all related to the waterway, how the history of the waterway, when it was built, how it was built, some historical documents that are in there as well. And there are some of the uh, favorite restaurants for loopers. When we did our best of the loop poll, a few of the favorite restaurants on the loop are actually on the Tentom. Um, so definitely check that out. And, and uh, Steve Arndt with Columbus Marina is, is one of our very big advocates among our sponsorship base. And he's uh, been a sponsor for us at some of the other marinas he's been at in the past. So hopefully you all stop in and visit him. Um, we do have a lot of listeners who are pretty new to boating and new to uh, kind of understanding the full complete great loop route so since the 10 time is really kind of an integral part of that go ahead and kind of give us the basics of the 10 time you know when first of all where is it you know what rivers does it connect and when and why was it built well it connects the tennessee river to the tom bigby river uh around pickwick is where the 10 time uh touches the tennessee river and then all the way down to demopolis 
And the waterway itself is a series of, of man-made uh, canals and then also straightening and I guess you could say uh, fixing for navigation the old parts of the Tombigbee River. Uh, the history of it goes back to the 1700s when the French explorers uh, recommended connecting the two rivers, connecting the Tennessee and the Tom Bigby. Um, of course, you know, nothing ever happened with it. The first survey, however, of actually doing this project was completed in the 1880s during the Pres President Grant's administration. Uh, so once they, you know, did the survey, they never did anything with it. Then in 1946, the United States Congress actually authorized the project to be done, but they did not appropriate any money for it. So during the uh, President Johnson administration, the 60s, well, and, and the, let me stop right there and say the, the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority was created in 1958. So we've been around for almost 60 years now. And this organization advocated and pushed hard to get funding for the waterway. So in the Johnson administration in the 60s, they finally got construction authorized. And then money started flowing into completing the waterway during the, during the Nixon administration. So they started construction in 1971, and it was completed in 1984 with the first commercial traffic happening in 1985. And part of it was, you know, digging the canal, and the other part of it was a series of locks and dams along the waterway. Uh, so as you can imagine, it was a very large Corps of Engineer project. In fact, uh, the Tintom Waterway uh, was a bigger project for the Corps of Engineers than the Panama Canal. They moved more dirt to to create the waterway than they did for the Panama Canal. And that, that's really an amazing stat. I've heard you talk about that before, and it is so interesting that everyone thinks of the Panama Canal as such a big canal and a big dig. Um, and the Tentom actually moved more dirt. So uh, was the primary consideration at that point, the reason that the federal government was flowing dollars towards that, uh, you know, what was the big motivation to connect the, the waterways? Commerce. Commerce said, you know, the, while, while, while we do have a lot of recreational value to, to people, uh, commerce comes first. It was built to move materials from, you know, other parts of the country to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so this was seen as another way to move goods and materials from the Northeast down to Mobile, not trying to take anything away from the Mississippi, which, you know, I always tell people when they compare our waterway to the Mississippi, you're comparing, it's not even apples to oranges, it's apples to, you know, cars. I mean, it's totally different. It's, we're, we're not, we're not in the same category as the Mississippi. I mean, yes, we are a waterway, but. I mean, there's you know hundreds of millions of tons that move on the Mississippi because it's so big and it's deep, and so so you know we are moving similar uh, commerce and materials, but not in the same quantities that can be uh, on the Mississippi River. So the the idea was to make a shorter route to the Gulf of Mexico to help shippers save money and get their product to market. Right. And uh, loopers, for one, are thankful that you are not the same as the Mississippi River. Um, and really, the opening of the Tensom, I think, made what 
the modern Great Loop is known as really possible because the lower Mississippi is really not pleasure craft friendly and some loopers have done it but it's few and far between. It expands the distance uh, that you need on your fuel range greatly. Um, fewer safe stops for pleasure craft. So uh, they're few and far between. Loopers take the Tennessee Tom Bigby all the way down. Um, and it certainly is the preferable route. So tell me some of its basic stats. How many miles is it? Um, you mentioned locks and dams were built. How many of those will loopers go through? Um, and for those that maybe have a deeper keel, how deep is the canal? Well, uh, the the Ten Tom Waterway itself is a 234-mile uh, marine highway, and we link up to 4,500 miles of navigable, you know, waterways serving, you know, mid-America. Uh, and we do, I guess you could say that we open up um, or serve 23 states, you know, throughout the South and Midwest, you know, by having the waterway here. Uh, it's uh, t 10 locks. Uh, in the Ten Tom Waterway, and the authorized draft uh, depth is nine foot, which is plenty of water for for all loopers. I, I think I can safely say. Um, now we know from the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway, it's not always dredged to the authorized depth. How is the dredging on the Tennessee Tom Bigby right now? Well, as you recall, earlier this year we had a lot of flooding and shoaling and. Uh, Parts of the waterway were actually shut down completely because the uh, channel was uh, blocked and filled in with sediment. Well, the the waterway has has been open since May, and they're still dredging uh, parts of the waterway. So there's some narrow spots, but it is passable to traffic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that dredging will continue until uh, November, perhaps into December. But all of these. Uh, Areas are plainly marked with uh, buoys, and there's warnings and, and plenty of navigation notices out there for, for any boaters to know uh, where, where the shoaling or dredging work is occurring. Perfect. And I would like to dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, but first, uh, we mentioned that the, the primary motivator for building this waterway was for commerce. Today, how much commercial traffic is on the Tentom versus recreational vessels? Well, I don't know the recreational uh, vessels that the, the locks don't track uh, any recreational lockages. They only they only track commercial lockages. Uh, so uh, we think this. Well, I should, should say usually we're around seven million tons a year in commercial traffic. Mm -hmm. This year, obviously, with all the issues that we've had, uh, that that number is going to be off. Mm -hmm. So uh, as far as what is moving on the waterway commercial, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good mix of, uh, you know, coal, chemical and petro aggregates, wood, and we, we are seeing an increase in metals. Uh, steel plants have been doing very well on the Tintom waterway and other waterways. So we're seeing an a increase uh, in, in that. Mm -hmm. So we, we expect that to uh, continue and to uh, increase. Right. And so, as far as the lockages go, uh, mm -hmm. we average around 1,100 lockages per year at each lock. Okay. Uh, so, so you know, what above that is is recreational? I, I really don't know. 
Yeah, that, that, and actually that is a hard number to focus in on. Um, you know, looper-wise, it was just a few hundred, I would say. Um, but of course, several of them can lock through at the same time. So, you know, lockages-wise, it's, it's certainly much lower. So I think this is a good point to take a quick break to play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I do want to jump into some of the specific issues that the 10 Thomas had to deal with over the past year. So we'll be back in a moment. The new MJM50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available. First worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in waves underway or at anchor. And in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy compounds composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant. A smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100 percent better fuel efficiency. A top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots. A more responsive, enjoyable driving experience and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Mitch Mays, who is the administrator of the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority. And as we alluded to in the intro, there have been some issues on the 10 Tom this year, um, well beyond anyone's control that these things happened. But let's start with last spring. Uh, you mentioned the flooding. Uh, we'll talk about the severity of the flooding and what the, the ramifications of that was once the water subsided. Well, uh, as you can imagine, it had a significant impact on business and industry uh, you know, trying to move their materials, whether it be you know, raw or finished uh, cargo. Uh, so it costs a lot of extra money uh, to to these companies to, to find alternative methods of, of moving moving product. So, you know, what, what was the total cost to that? I, I don't know what the total cost was, but I do, I, I can give you one example of like one company, what it cost them here in Mississippi. Uh, they spent almost $600,000 over a period of, you know, two, two and a half months waiting for the waterway to be opened again. That's extra money that they would not have spent otherwise. And it's not recoverable for them. I mean, it had to, that's just what they had to do to move the material. Um, there were, I, I do know there were quite a few uh, loopers and people moving, you know, their boats from, you know, Florida, Mobile up to, you know, northern locations that uh, lost money having to keep their boats in storage or having to stay with them, uh, which, you know, benefits the, the community, oddly enough, the community that they're visiting benefits from having them there, but it doesn't benefit the, the boater necessarily trying to get from point A to point B because the waterways closed. Right. So the so flooding we, we, was, you know, beyond anything you've seen in recent memory, correct? Uh, unprecedented yes. is the word that uh, has been used uh, quite a bit. Uh, as far as the, it, it, this, this flooding was in the top 10. I want to say it was number six, number seven uh, of the top 10 flooding events for the 10 Tom Waterway and Tom Bigby uh, River. So, so these, these things, you know, it's an act of God. It's out of our hands, and you know, these do happen. But 
we, we're working with the Corps of Engineers to hopefully prevent some of these things from happening again, which, you know, this takes long-term planning and, of course, money to do it. Right. And, of course, once all that water receded, there was debris left behind and uh, really just an unprecedented amount of silting. And I, I know when we last spoke, the waterway was still closed from that, but you had places uh, where you could literally walk across, correct? Yeah, there were a couple of places that you could literally wade across the channel uh, on foot. And, and and so, you know, they've gotten those open uh, now. They do have, a, you know, like I said, some, some narrow spots, but clearly marked. I guess one thing that struck me as I was talking with a gentleman who works for one of the towing companies, and he had told me that he had been in this business for over 40 years, and he had never seen anything like this. So that really, you know, puts it in, into perspective yes. uh, as to how bad the flooding was this year. Yeah, and while some of the small towns may have had a, kind of an extra bonus from boaters who perhaps, you know, were stuck there for a bit, for uh, those companies that make their living on the waterway, you mentioned the $600,000, and that's huge because we're talking about small businesses. You know, we're not talking about giant conglomerates. So it really was a, a difficult situation for those people along the waterway there. But it is mostly back to normal, as you said. Any kind of, and, and as you said, there's notices out there. The areas are well marked. Um, of course, anybody coming through needs to do their due diligence to uh, read those notices. But uh, any kind of general overview you can give us about where the trouble spots are, where people should be cautious? Well, there, there's so many of them. I, I really couldn't point to, to one or two. Of, you know, what I would recommend anyone uh, you know, coming through the waterway would be to, uh, you know, talk with the lock operators, uh, see if there's any issues that they're aware of. The, the phone numbers are listed, uh, you know, for the, for the locks. And we've also got them on our website. And the, the Corps of Engineers also has the phone numbers listed. So, you know, I would encourage them to, uh, as they're coming through, talk with the marina uh, owners and, and talk with the lock operators and just find out from them if there's any trouble spots. But, you know, like I said, the, the, the shoaling is clearly marked with, with buoys, and if they are dredging, you'll, you'll see it, and there'll, there'll be plenty of notice before you get, get up to them. Okay. And as if that wasn't enough trouble for you to deal with in one year, uh, more recently there was a substantial oil spill at the Wittenlock. So tell us about that, what happened there. Yeah, this is, this is. I guess it's been a few weeks ago that this happened, but uh, a barge was locking through the Witten Lock and uh, apparently had drifted back over the sill of the gate, which is you know a con the, the the concrete bottom of the gate. And when the uh, barge was being lowered, it, it the stern of the of the uh, boat got caught on the sill and it ruptured the. Uh, the tank that contained crude oil. Fortunately, all of the oil that leaked is about 117,000 gallons that leaked into the lock. It was all contained inside the lock, so it never got out into the waterway. All of it was in the lock. So they shut the lock down. Uh, took them about three weeks to uh, get all the oil cleaned uh, out of the lock. Uh, they were able to get the boat out, clean it, and, and had Fortunately, no environmental impact at all, which is, you know, great news. 
Yeah, so, that's huge. You know, as far as as far as you know, the 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 investigation, I've, I've you know, I've not heard from I've not heard from the Coast Guard what the final you know uh, analysis was on on their investigation, what caused it, what you know, we, we know what happened, but we just don't know how it happened or why why they drifted or you know if it was a mistake or accident. We just don't know. Uh, but the good news is uh, it's all cleaned and it's open. Yep, and there were some uh, pleasure craft that were kind of stuck waiting for that to reopen, but uh, everyone understands that these things happen. The the bulk of loopers will be coming through over the next few weeks, so most weren't affected. Of course, the commercial traffic was highly affected by this. Um, but really, kudos go out to the whole team who remediated that oil um, and who contained the spill, because you're right, it was all contained in the lock. Um, some of the initial estimates of reopening the waterway were admittedly by the team kind of guesses, uh, but they were pretty close to right on, and, and it was about three weeks, and, and boats started to be able to use the lock again. And the Witten Lock, um, I believe, is the biggest change in elevation on a, a lock on the Great Loop. Do you know, Mitch, what the, the feet in the Great uh, in the Witten Lock is? Uh, 84 feet. Yeah, so it's a substantial lock. Um but as we said, that's cleaned up. It's ready to go for all of the loopers and other boaters coming through. So that's kind of the, the issues that have come up for you in the past year. But also uh, in the past few weeks, there was an Associated Press article published that several people forwarded to me um, that talked about the growth and prosperity that was promised when the Ten Tom was built and kind of you know took the angle in the article that that really has never happened. What's your take on that? Well, that particular reporter uh, had an angle that he was going to go with, and he was not going to be swayed from that with any kind of uh, information or data to, to show the successes that have happened as a result of the waterway. Um, you know, my initial thought is that after 35 years of being open, people would learn to accept that the waterway is open, and let's try to make the best of it and develop the waterway that it was uh, intended. Now, is every area that the waterway goes through uh, going to have success? Uh, my answer would be no. Not every area is going to be able to take uh, to, to seize those opportunities that the waterway presents. And there's a myriad of reasons why. Uh, my background is in economic development. I can tell you one of the most important things is, is having a workforce, not just uh, quantity of workforce for quality of workforce. So some of the areas, and, and I'll use Elps as an example, that was in the article. Sumter County is a county of, I think, maybe 11,000 people. Elps is a very small town. They do have a port, but just because you have a port doesn't mean that you're going to have a company land there and employ hundreds or thousands of people. Workforce being a contributing factor in that. So, you know, this this reporter, I spent quite a bit of time with him, uh, let him visit with uh, with ports along the waterway. He had his mind made up before he came in, and so I'll just say I'll just end it like this: He's one of the reasons why people don't trust media or don't like media. Mm -hmm. Well, the article, and, and you know, in my opinion, as a bit more of an outsider to it, yes, it was it was slanted. Um, 
and, and I think the point being that a lot of money was spent to build it and it's not, hasn't made all of the small little rural towns along the way prosper. And I think that's kind of an unrealistic expectation, as you said, Mitch. Um, as far as growth ability, um, you know, how much more cargo could be shipped? Because we all see the interstates and we see the number of trucks growing and growing. Um, and I've been involved in some conferences on the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway where they talk about uh, shipping via water as one of kind of an untapped resource. Is that the case on the Tentom as well? It, it, the Tentom, like every other inland waterway in the United States, is vastly underutilized. And, you know, we, we have plenty of capacity. It, when the waterway was built, it was built to handle up to, I, I think I'm recalling this correctly, 40 million tons per year. So we're around 7 million. So we have plenty of capacity to, you know, to, to have more cargo being moved on the waterway. Right. Uh, I, I've always kind of told people that, you know, one of the things that I've noted with business and industry, and it's part of our culture as Americans, is we don't want to wait on anything. And anytime you're using the waterway to move something, you have to build time into that process. And so many companies, when they have something comes into, let's say, the port of Mobile, for instance, they don't want to wait three or four days to have it shipped to them, you know, wherever they are, uh, by water. So they put it on a truck get it up there, you know, as fast as they can. So they, you know, they don't build these uh, into their, uh, into their uh, uh, moving their cargo because they don't want to wait. They want it right then. So, it's kind of, and, I, and I think all of us as Americans probably understand that. I don't like to wait on, you know, something to download on my computer <laughs> right. uh, if I'm on the internet. So, you know, we, we kind of do that throughout our entire entire lives and work and everything. Right. And for our, our listeners who are pleasure boaters, we're going, wow, if there was, you know, five or six more times the commercial traffic on the Tentom, would the pleasure craft be able to get through? My answer is yes. Um, and also that everything has to be a balance. Um, so while it may take a little bit longer to wait at locks that there's a lot of commercial traffic, without the commercial traffic, the locks don't aren't maintained. Um, so it, it has to be a balance. And, I, I, you know, obviously there's room for growth of both commercial and pleasure craft on the Tentom. One other question for you, Mitch, um, and, and you may not be able to answer this yet because the Tentom had its own issue with the Witten Lock, but several locks on the Illinois waterway have been closed this season, much later into the season than was anticipated, and the closure has been much longer. Is that something, you know, obviously the traffic that is downbound is either headed for the Mississippi or the Tentom. So that's going on right now, this year. But next year, the same thing is is projected. You know, there's a closure scheduled from July 1st through October 31st. Will that affect the traffic on the Tentom if no one can really come through the Great Lakes, or is most of your traffic coming from, you know, the Ohio River in that direction? Well, well I think it will have an impact, but I, I, I don't think I could put any kind of a of value to that, you know, how, how much of an impact it would have. But yeah, any any cargo or craft, pleasure craft that are moving, uh, trying to move south, and obviously it's going to have an impact on us. Right. Uh, and you bring up closures. I will. I will go ahead and throw this in here. Is that the Witten Lock is scheduled for closure next year, probably around September October. It's not been in, 
you know, solidified yet as to exact dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have to do a repair. It'll be a 30-day uh, closure. Uh, but one of the one of the gates is is damaged and has to be fixed. So uh, your your folks that are that are moving through, they might want to just kind of pencil that in on their calendar and be aware of it. Sure. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Mitch, but I think a notice went out about that possibly last year, and then it was postponed. A notice, you know, asking for some feedback on the dates. Am I remembering the same project, or is it a totally different one? Well, we we did send out uh, a notice and asking for some feedback, but because of all the issues we had this year with the flooding and shoaling, it was pushed off right. until uh, next year. And so uh, I don't know that I don't know if we'll you know ask for feedback again. But uh, as soon as as soon as I get notice from the Corps of Engineers, I'll make sure to forward that to you so you can send to your folks. And of course, we'll also post it on our uh, Facebook page as well. And Mitch, tell our listeners how they can find your website. Uh, it's very easy. You just go to www.tentom.org and that's T-E-N-N-T-O-M.org. So very easy to get to, very easy to find, and I'm assuming they can just search Facebook for your Facebook page as well. That's correct. All right, Mitch Mays with the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway Development Authority. Thank you for joining us today and updating us on the status of the 10 Tom because it is such an important piece of the Great Loop. So we thank you for that. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 